When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. We're taking a deep dive into ASEAN in the following podcast, talking with founders and investors from one of the world's fastest growing startup ecosystems. From Singapore to Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, Jakarta, and other parts of the region, hear how entrepreneurs are tackling this massive market, what investors are hunting for, and why startups are having such an impact across all dimensions in this part of the world. Welcome to the AWS Startup Podcast. I'm Michael Copeland, and I am here virtually with uh, Joel Neo, who is in Kuala Lumpur, who is the founder and CEO of Fave. Joel, welcome. Hey, morning, Mike. Great to be on your podcast. Morning for you. You get to see Thursday before I do. Unfortunately, I'm here in the Bay Area, a day behind you or half a day or so. Well, let me check in with you first. How are things? How are you doing? Uh, it's been good. In fact, I just uh, finished a workout. Uh, I was stuck in the denning this morning. As long as this is not on video uh, and it's on audio, it's all good, man. <laughs> it's going to only be audio, but uh, good for you for getting a workout. Well, I want to talk about Fave, but I before we get to Fave, You've had this long career as an entrepreneur, and it, and it started when you were a student, um, continued when you won a reality TV show in Malaysia, and then ran Groupon in your neck of the woods, and then Fave. So how many companies have you started? Let's start there. Sure, yeah. I got to give you the context. So my parents are, are both educationists. In fact, my mom's a teacher in my high school. Uh, so growing up, uh, essentially, there's uh, only four career options that was given to me, whether it's being a lawyer, doctor, engineer, or accountant. Uh, <laughs> so naturally, you know, I was good in math and physics in high school and uh, enrolled myself into engineering uh, in university. So as I was uh, in the second year of mechanical engineering, I realized that uh, that there wasn't really something I was fully interested or passionate about. And you know, I was kind of nervous because I didn't know what to tell my parents. Uh, and that's kind of how I started my first startup. You know, on the side, I was, uh, you know, building up, uh, setting up a company. And I guess my parents always thought that was a hobby. And uh, right after I graduated, they were d- dishing out my certificates to get me a job interview uh, so that I uh, stop, uh, you know, working on my hobbies. <laughs> and, I uh, yeah, see. So fast forward later, yeah, uh, it's been a couple of companies, uh, you know, since then. And uh, yeah, just been really privileged and uh, lucky to be where I'm at today. Well, so let me ask you this. So you, you started that first company, the hobby that your parents found out later about when you were about 20 from what I read. And it was a student agency. What, what, what did you guys do? So what I realized in sometime 2008 is that the media landscape was shifting, mm-hmm. you know, our neck of the woods, uh, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, people were uh, starting to uh, consume more media on the internet, uh, online news pl- portals, uh, instead of the traditional television and uh, newspapers. So the first company that I started 
you know, revolved around uh, creating a, a platform where uh, users could create content mm-hmm. and other users could read it. So eventually it uh, scaled up pretty quickly. Uh, after the first 12 months, uh, you know, we had like millions of uh, users who were reading and consuming this content and also producing it. Uh, which eventually became an advertising uh, platform for advertisers to reach out to, uh, you know, more customers. And fast forward five, six years, it became one of the largest digital media companies uh, in the, uh, you know, in Malaysia. And it got acquired by uh, one of the traditional media companies uh, in, in Malaysia. So that was uh, kind of the first startup that, that I built. And uh, in, in the progress of, uh, you know, growing a, a media uh, company, uh, we realized that we had a lot of uh, unutilized media inventory where we couldn't sell to advertisers. Right. So naturally, we were looking and, uh, and see how we could utilize it better. Uh, and we saw that uh, e-commerce had uh, some potential back in 2010. So people were starting to think about buying things online. But of course, uh, security was an issue. So uh, as compared to, to the States... Like, uh, you know, in, in our part of the world, uh, paying for something online was kind of a scary thing. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Right? So if you look at the news in 2010, banks uh, were telling people not to make any transaction online, right? Because there could be scams or hoax. Uh, so what we thought was that, you know, if we were to sell something online, it's got to be cheap enough. It's got to give you a big enough discount. Right. That's how it all begins. So right? you sort of yeah. take that risk and, and go do it. So, but I have to ask, and and I think we forget this, especially, you know, over time, but not every part of the world and not everybody's parents um, are so happy that you go into the startup world. Um, And now clearly your parents are, and you showed them like, hey, actually, there's a lot to this and, and I've gone on and built, you know, multiple things. But do you have any advice to folks who who might be starting out and whose parents are less than, you know, excited about them sort of taking the risk. And in some parts of the world, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, you're in Kuala Lumpur and, and Singapore, certainly, it's a bit more normalized. But in other parts of the world, it hasn't become so typical yet. Oh, it's very easy to be misunderstood, especially when uh, starting uh, an internet startup, because uh, the previous generation has probably very minimal exposure uh, to the industry. Uh, in fact, the term entrepreneurship in 2008 is a foreign term. Yeah, It's, it's only been uh, recently popularized uh, in, in this part of the world. So I think firstly, just accepting that, uh, you know, it's easily to be misunderstood and there's no bad intentions from, you know, different generations, our friends, our family, if they don't really understand what we are doing. And also being patient to uh, explain it to them and uh, try to involve them, uh, you know, uh, step by step. So the breakthrough, I guess, for me was uh, not really when we exited the company or when we took the company public, but actually when my parents first used uh, the e-commerce platform that I've built and then that's when they went, aha, this is what my son's been doing all this ah, while. So <laughs> Smart. Yeah. And um, it was actually quite a, a funny moment because my mom was talking about uh, the platform I was building and she was starting to buy coupons and vouchers from it. And she was telling my dad over dinner mm-hmm. how this platform has been uh, really helping her. And on the other hand, my dad was uh, telling her to be really cautious uh, in case a credit card gets, uh, you know, <laughs> frauded right. right by the platform. And uh, yeah, long story short is 
they eventually found out that I was building that platform for the past couple of years. <laughs> she broke the news to your dad that actually it was yours? Yep. <laughs> they, they, they had no clue that that was what I was building. So, um, yeah, I think things changed from, from then. Uh, you know, I guess when they started being involved, they knew what it was. It's easier to tell their, my grandparents. <laughs> it's easier to tell their friends what their son yeah. was doing if he's not being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant. Right. Oh, that's great. Tell us how then, I know, you know, you, you talked about the, the large media company that you build, um, the platform for coupons, et cetera, that you guys got acquired, if I'm not mistaken, by, by Groupon or merged with Groupon in Asia. How did all of that then lead to what you're doing today, to Fave? Like, what did you learn? And then what more did you see that needed to be done? Yeah, so what we're building with Fave today is very much uh, an extension of uh, my journey in Groupon. So as a consumer, you would see Groupon as a discount uh, platform and uh, say, helping you to save money. And if you are a restaurant or retailer, uh, in our internal terms, call them a merchant, uh, you would see the platform as an opportunity to grow more customers, you know, as you do more promotions on the platform. What I felt was missing when I was in Groupon was that there was not enough uh, tools uh, or digital tools for merchants to grow their business. Uh, so uh, having a right. voucher program or having a deal program, it's kind of one of the ways to do it, but it's not the be-all and end-all uh, for a merchant. And what I think is unique in Southeast Asia is that uh, mobile consumption is growing exponentially and there's huge accessibility, right, of um, people getting smartphones and now they're using it for all, uh, you know, various uh, different things from consuming content to connecting with their friends and now even making payments. Right. So mobile payments uh, in this part of the world is uh, adoption is uh, is huge. Right. It's uh, very, very fast. In fact, governments are pushing for it because there are a lot of uh, we call it unbanked uh, consumers uh, in, in our region. So while a lot of uh, this adoption is happening on the consumer end, merchants are getting the shorter end of the stick. So if you run a business here, the ways that you can go digital is very few, right? So think about, you know, if you open up your phone, you know, you may have 100 apps or 200 apps in your phone, right? But if you are a business, you know, trying to, uh, you know, digitize your services, right, or, um, you know, any part of your business, there's probably only a handful of options, so we thought that, you know, there's actually a discrepancy here where merchant digitization is, um, you know, is really not being prioritized. And so therefore, we uh, yeah, started on the journey to, you know, help them digitize their vouchers, their loyalty program, payments, you know, financing. So I think the more that we help them to do, the more data we get and um, uh, for them, or we help them to digitize those data. You know, even we've got a dashboard. It's kind of it's, it's quite similar to like Google Analytics. That now this small medium business owner who runs a cafe, runs a restaurant, is able to understand what's going on in their business and do something about it uh, to improve and to grow. Right. So you give them this insight into their business that they wouldn't otherwise have, and in turn, you get insight into sort of building other tools or or features for them that that ha deepens your relationship with them. I imagine as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So the way we uh, think about it is that if you are an online seller today, like Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, like you know, would give multiple tools to online sellers to improve. But if you are an 
a offline restaurant or retailer, you know, selling uh, fashion products, it's quite difficult to actually get a good data set and take action to improve your business. And that's uh, essentially the area that we're focused on to help uh, offline businesses to uh, grow. And that scenario, that kind of circumstance, I know you guys operate in Malaysia and Indonesia. And Singapore. And Singapore, yes. But those markets and those conditions exist kind of in many parts of the world. Wouldn't that be fair to say? And are you guys focused on Southeast Asia now because, you know, it's big enough? But do you think about other parts of the world where these same conditions exist? Yeah, so we are focused on these three countries and uh, we were thinking about expansion before uh, the COVID and the travel lockdowns hit. Uh, but at the same time, when we, uh, you know, even in these three markets, because the offline retail is a huge sector, right? In Southeast Asia, more than 90% of all retail spend is still happening offline, right? While a lot of it is kind of growing online today, majority of, of transactions and volumes are still offline. So, you know, in, in just uh, these three countries, there are over uh, a million uh, offline merchants uh, out there. So it's uh, quite an arduous process uh, to onboard them, provide them the right tools, you know, that, that helps them to, to grow. So uh, we're digging deep in, in these countries and uh, there's, there's uh, quite a lot to do. Yeah, there's plenty. It sounds like there's plenty of room to grow. I want to get to these questions, but I want to ask you one last thing, kind of as it relates to, well, maybe not one last, but eh, (laughs) close to one last thing uh, as it relates to faith. But you, what you guys, you call it a platform, but you guys have also built a marketplace, right? Where there's, you know, consumers and there's vendors and, and your other customers. For those people who are trying to build that sort of flywheel, what do you recommend or how do you think about? building all sides of this exchange so it happens on top of Fave in this platform that you guys are building. How do you guys do that and, and how do you think about that? Yeah, I guess that I've seen two ways to do it. Uh, one is raise a lot of money <laughs> and fund the platform. Right, yeah, buy customers. Buy, yeah. you know, whether it's merchants or customers and um, you know, it's a unique economic negative model and hopefully you get enough skill uh, that you can optimize the business you know, eventually to be profitable. But I guess that's not for everyone, and that's for uh, very unique cases uh, in which uh, you can raise uh, millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, or even billions. Yeah? I think the more normal way to start building a platform is to uh, figure out how you solve one part of the equation first and deliver enough value to uh, the first part of the marketplace. So for us, uh, we are very much focused on the offline merchant, uh, on the restaurant, on the retailer. What do they really need? So one of our fastest growing product, it's a, it's a loyalty product for the merchant. So we enable them to issue their own loyalty cashback. So cashback is a currency. So let's say you walk into a well-known sandwich shop in Singapore and uh, you're really hungry and you ate $100 worth of uh, sandwiches. So as the bill comes, you, know, you pay $100 through your phone uh, and you would actually get $10 back from the sandwich shop. So this $10 can only be used back at the sandwich shop. Right. And this is all facilitated seamlessly through your phone. Um, and it's done through the, you know, the, the mobile payment infrastructure that we've built uh, in which the issuance of the $10 and eventually when you uh, burn that $10, it's all done right uh, within uh, the payment flow itself. So what essentially the merchants uh, today are now able to do is within a minute, 
set up their loyalty program so they don't have to print out loyalty cards, you know, where consumers would throw it away, the wallet's too thick, right? Nobody wants to kind of collect these cards anymore. Right, right. right? And right. all of it is stored in your phone. Right. So we have 35,000 loyalty programs today actually inside the Fave app. But of course, you know, it's it's shown in, in a way where it's, uh, you know, easy to understand for consumers and, uh, you know, they get a benefit. So at the end of it, as, um, as we've started to scale up this in the past two years, we've seen merchants having tremendous success where now they're able to see whether their consumers uh, are coming back. How often are they coming back? Are they spending more? Uh, if they're not spending more, what can they do about it? Uh, and on average, about 75 or 80% of the customers, once they receive this um, merchant loyalty cashback, uh, they would go back to the restaurant or the retailer within three months. So um, there's always two ways to grow a business. One is to get new customers. And the second, which is most important, is to retain and to get, make sure that your existing customers come back. And that's what that product does. Right. Well, so we, we sort of began the conversation around your entrepreneurial career about how people have been reluctant to spend online. And, you know, you've kind of gone through that journey alongside your customers. And now you're talking about a behavior where, you know, they want more and more loyalty programs and they want it all to sort of happen automatically on their mobile device. So what trend, like, is on the horizon for you and what makes you most kind of excited and interested and in, in, in thinking hardest about where to push next? So cashless is definitely the biggest trend. I think, in our region at this point. And that's also accelerated because of the pandemic, yep. where um, anything that you know has some form of uh, physical form of exchange, right? In this case, it would be cash, uh, paper, or plastic, you know, is naturally now slightly frowned upon, right? Because of the uh, safety issues that it could bring. So we see a lot of um, small merchants, uh, even, even this uh, past two, three months, like going completely digital, right? They've uh, you know put signboards outside their store to say, "Hey, we don't accept cash uh, anymore." So if uh, that's the case in the foreseeable future, I think it's a good thing because um, you know eventually one of the uh, you know handicap for small medium businesses uh, oftentimes is uh, the ability to leverage on uh, digital tools and also uh, data to uh, grow and improve their business. Uh, so one of the areas that uh, we also think it's uh, important is that uh, small medium businesses today actually find it hard to get financial products, right? Whether you want to take a loan, uh, you want to refinance your business, it is quite tough because there's not enough sufficient data for of the business to provide to banks to facilitate the funding. So uh, this is an area that we're also looking at, you know, to help the underbanked uh, merchants and, and businesses, uh, you know, with financing in the in the near future. So uh, overall, I think um, the governments, consumers, they, they, they're all pushing uh, this cashless adoption. Um, so what we are trying to do is uh, be a, a contributing factor to that ecosystem, specifically on the merchant side. And you, um, you guys announced a, a partnership and an investment from Pine Labs, which is a digital payments and merchant commerce platform. So you guys are, you guys are all in on, on kind of being, like you say, a factor in this, this shift to cashless and other fintech products. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, Pine Labs has been uh, one of the companies we have admired for a long time. They are one of the most successful Indian uh, payments company. And, uh, you know, we've uh, constantly been monitoring how the cashless uh, adoption in India has, uh, you know, been, been growing. 
because India and China are both of the largest markets, uh, you know, in terms of uh, driving this new uh, trend, right, between consumers and merchants. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think we are very privileged to receive an investment from them. And um, but more importantly is, um, you know, we're starting to work on a partnership that will accelerate, uh, you know, the value proposition of both companies to our respective markets. So I think pretty excited about, about that. Sounds great. Well, congratulations on that, especially... There's people making investments now, and you guys are, are clearly in a, in a different sort of category of, of company, but it's good to see this sort of optimism and people pushing hard, you know, because once we come out the other side of all this, there'll be plenty of opportunity to, to run as fast as you can. So you guys are clearly getting ready. Well, with your permission, let me jump into these questions that we like to ask everyone. So let's start with the first, which is tell me a tool that you use on a regular basis, uh, something that you kind of can't live without. Evernote. I put all my notes on really? it. Yeah, uh, because it's all synced you know, across my, all my devices. So I, I like writing down notes uh, you know, when I speak to people, when I'm you know, traveling and I see something, you know, when I'm you know, brainstorming with the team. Uh, you know. so, so every uh, time I, I write a note, it's synced across all my platforms and I, I love it. Evernote. So, and you don't have, it sounds like you, you don't necessarily have a favorite device for taking notes or kind of jotting down ideas. It's whatever's at hand. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it works across all form factors. Uh, then, of course, you know, all the other tools that, uh, you know, I use would be like Dropbox, you know, to store all my files. You know, I used to use Wonderlist. Uh, then, you know, it got, you know, migrated. I got acquired by Microsoft. So it's like a to-do list uh, app, you know, which uh, helps me to prioritize my work every day. Right. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, um, I do a lot of mind mapping as well. And so I use MindNode, you know, which I think is kind of one of the better mind map tools there is. So in combination, those tools that you describe, I mean, one, it sounds like, so you don't, things don't kind of fall through the cracks, you don't lose ideas, but that also that you kind of accelerate those ideas into, you know, some direction or another, and that you stay organized. Are those the kind of characteristics or the, the through lines for those tools that you use? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a four-step process almost. You know, the first step is uh, starting by noting down everything. <laughs> so I could just capture yeah. any divergent thinking, right, on Evernote. And then secondly is I try to arrange it in a mind map because that's the easiest way to do it. Uh, make sure that everything's kind of on one sheet and then you move, start, I start moving it around. And thirdly, I think once uh, you know I'm clear about the the priorities, then I kind of punch it into the to do list, you know, so that I get get it going right or start executing on it. Right. Then last but not least, um, you know, I'll use uh, Google Docs, which um, you know it's easy for sharing because uh, obviously you know I, I can't do it all alone, and I need to share this information with a, a group of people, and that's what I love about you know working in a team. So that that's uh, where we kind of like now add 10 people into the, the document. And so everyone has a clear view of uh, what needs to be done uh, together. So yeah, force that process. Interesting. That sounds perfect. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing that myself um, or some version <laughs> of that. All right. A leadership practice or routine, something that you do with your team or that you've done with other teams that, that you really think works. Yeah. So on a daily basis, I think there are two uh, rituals that I find valuable. Uh, the first one starts in the morning. So really about getting up right. And, you know, everyone has their own uh, different type of habits. Uh, I think working out, uh, having a good breakfast, but more importantly is uh, prioritizing the day. You know, there's just so much going on, you know, in our lives and there's so many things we can be doing. But 
choosing what's important and prioritizing those, I think it's, uh, you know, it's key. So I go to my to-do list and I prioritize the day every single morning. And uh, as I end the day, uh, oftentimes it's uh, the focus is, uh, you know, it's about being grateful for what has happened, uh, you know, who has helped me, or even small things, right, that are pleasant things that has happened throughout the day. So I always end the day with gratitude. That's a good way to end. I have to say that seems like a great way to end. I, I have to ask, like, if you and maybe you do. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna assume. But what happens if you don't get through your to do list, or do you plan it so you do, or is that not really the point? It's just prioritizing things. I think it's an iterative process. Uh, I think oftentimes we get too hard on ourselves when we don't finish what we intended to uh, set out right for the day. Uh, but you know, I. I after, you know, say 10, 15 years of, you know, beauty startups, you, you actually never finish the things that you intend to do. It's ongoing and it right. evolves every single day. There's just more and more that goes on the list. So the way I think about it is, you know, just like agile, you know, and scrums where you always have a list of 50, 100 things and it keeps getting longer. Uh, the most important is uh, prioritizing the three to five things to do. And out of three to five, if you manage to do two or three of them in the day, you can always do the next two or three the next day. Right? And uh, over yeah. time, doing what's most important is better than you know, doing what's not important right. <laughs> so, Right, right. And just n- knocking it off your list. Yeah, I think that's important. A lesson learned. Now, this could be something that you were happy to learn or something that you were, wished you hadn't learned. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So one of the things uh, is mentorship. You know, I know a lot of people feel it's important, but one thing uh, I would recommend not to do, or I've managed to unlearn, is that when I was first starting up, uh, I, I took what other people with experience uh, mention or, or share very, very seriously, <laughs> right? And I guess it really affected mm-hmm. like my confidence starting right. something, yeah, right? Because um, you know, when you're first starting up in your early twenties, everyone would come to you and say, "Hey, you need a mentor." And then you try to find one that has very very different life experience and very different um, understanding of uh, technology and, and business models and even personal development. So that kind of led to perhaps a, a point where I wasn't confident of what I was doing because everything I seemed to do felt uh, wrong. So what I've learned is that uh, everyone has a different experience and your situation is very much contextual to the time and the problems and the opportunities that that you see. So going for blind mentorship, yeah, just picking someone experience or someone someone's recommended as a, you know as a good mentor, I think uh, can actually cause more harm, uh, especially in the early days uh, starting up a startup. So uh, for me, I've been uh, uh, you know what I've learned uh, is uh, you know to be more clear about the situation that that I'm in. And uh, what I do now today is uh, I call it situational reading, right? So I actually spend a lot of time trying to find the right book that matches to the right situation I'm in. For example, when I, after that you know, ordeal, I, I realized that, hey, you know, as a young entrepreneur for starting up, what's the best book to read? So I scoured like the internet and I found this book called E-Myth. And as soon as I picked it up, it really answered a lot of the questions uh, I had. And then, you know, as I was scaling up the thing, uh, the team's, uh, and the business, uh, you know, I, I, I look through again, right? Scout the internet, look at reviews, and uh, people seem to uh, be recommending this book uh, called Winning by Jack Welch, right? So yeah. I know there are some detractors of the book, but, uh, you know, I, I felt that that really helped me to think about how do I actually build a winning team, right? Uh, aside from just being very motivated myself. And then eventually, you know, uh, as the business started to grow and, you know, we need people to step up 
and I wanted to um, empower people, then, you know, I, I picked up this book called Good to Great. And then, you know, as I was reading it, I was implementing it in an organization. So, yes, I think situational reading has really helped me. And I've kind of uh, stayed away from blind mentorship uh, and, and just following experience for the sake of it. Interesting. I that, that that's like I love to hear that because I do think you're right that, like you said, you can get advice from all kinds of people and um, – you know, it may not be the best advice, especially when you're starting out and it can set you back and it can cost you money and all of the above. So I suppose if you find a good mentor, if it is that sort of situational contextual match, that's one thing, but that's not necessarily easy to come by either, is it? Oh, it is. Yeah, it is rare to come by. Uh, if if you found it, that's, uh, you know, kind of, that's amazing, right? Uh, but uh, oftentimes, uh, or more often than not, uh, many of us don't, uh, you know, find the right, right. person. And uh, yeah, we end up being influenced uh, in a very different way, uh, which is not constructive to uh, what, what we do. Right, right. That's a really good point. Well, and finally, uh, and it seems like you probably don't have much time to binge on anything, but what are you binging? What are you reading, writing, uh, watching, listening to, eating for that matter? So recently, I find myself uh, very drawn into podcasts. Ah, good. <laughs> you know, not because I'm on one right now, Mike, uh, with you. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. So true story. Um, and uh, this is uh, yeah only in the past uh, year or so. I find it's pretty effective. You know, consuming content through audio. You know, previously to this, uh, you know, it's always been like video, right? And um, and it's helpful because. Um, especially when I'm driving, you know, to work or for long distance, I, I plug in a podcast and I listen to it for hours and feel still really energized, right? Uh, even do, doing those uh, long drive trips. So yeah, so recently I've been uh, listening to a lot of, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, uh, Reed Hoffman, uh, Jay Shetty, you know, just kind of flipping through, uh, you know, any of their latest interviews, uh, you know, and uh, picking up uh, new, new things that I can implement in my life, in business, uh, and to continuously improve. I mean, I love the the form of the podcast, and I have to say, people are going to be doing the same thing with this podcast. So we're going to be listening to Joel Neo breaking down how you've built things and, and how you think about it. And I, I want to sum up just a little bit because I love I, I love the way you've described things. I mean, that that the four steps that you take to get from jotting an idea down to kind of the to do list, and then. Getting up right and prioritizing the day and ending the day with gratitude. I think that's a thing that we should all keep in mind. Your approach to, to, to your um, learning and situational reading certainly seems to work for you. And, and I think that's a good tactic or approach for a lot of people, especially if you're not in the thick of some startup ecosystem or some you know, business building place. And finally, listen to podcasts, including this one. And I, I, I have to say this, you know, as you listen to this podcast, people out there, uh, jot these things down because um, Joel, it's been great. And I really want to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mike. I'll ask you one final question. What should we be keeping an eye out for um, from you and from Faith? Good question, Mike. I've uh, not really thought about it, but <laughs> since you asked, yeah, I, I guess like, you know, we hope to uh, expand, you know, in, in the region. We are right now in uh, three countries. Uh, hopefully we'll be in more uh, by next year. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Joel Neo. CEO and founder of Fave and CEO and founder of a whole lot of other stuff too. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. If you are looking to get started on the cloud with AWS, our Activate program provides startups with a host of benefits, including 
AWS credits, technical support, training, and other resources to help grow your business. Head to aws.amazon.com backslash activate for more. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories@amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.